I've got to tell you, Carter, if it had been a requirement for me to do that to graduate from high school, I'd still be in high school. <laughs> I've never been able to do one of those. That is truly amazing. So what is the goal of parenting? Could you boil that down? Is it this? Is it just getting them through high school? Is that the goal? Is it helping them to find the right mate and to, to get into the right school and to, to, to choose the right career and, and to have lots of grandkids for you to spoil? Is that the goal of parenting? Or is it to get them out of the house in a way that doesn't involve either handcuffs or body bags? Is that the goal? You know, by listening, by listening to some parents today, you'd think that was kind of the gist of it. You know, a lot of parents today, you know, they think, well, my kid's not in trouble with the law. He's still alive and kicking. He's graduated from high school or from college. He's got a job. He's getting married. I've won the parenting game. But really, is that all that God asks of us as Christian parents? Or are we maybe setting the bar way too low? In his book, Revolutionary Parenting, George Barna, you know, Barna, he's the one that comes out with a lot of different statistics and research and studies. He gives us the bad news that many Christian parents aren't aiming for the goals that God has set out for them as parents. Barna answers the question, what does God measure? And he answers it by saying this, our hearts. He created us to love, serve, and obey Him. He studies the indicators of our devotion to Him. As parents, then, our job is to raise spiritual champions. That does not mean we are supposed to ignore the significance of developing our children's intellectual, emotional, and physical dimensions, but it suggests that we have to see the bigger picture of God's priorities and raise our children in light of His standards, not ours or society's. He adds that Christian parents, in many ways, are failing by God's standards. And if we were going to gauge how well we're doing in this regard, the outcomes might startle us. Barna Institute has released their latest study, a study on Generation Z. And Generation Z are those born between 1999 and 2015. That's Generation Z. Only 6% of millennials have what we would call a biblical worldview. Only 6%. But of Generation Z, that stat is looking like more like 4%. That means that fewer people than ever have a biblical worldview in America. Most are biblically illiterate, which means that today's teens are less Christian and more confused about moral and spiritual truth than ever before. Few are motivated to share their faith in Christ with others. Less than one in five said they have a responsibility to evangelize their peers. And almost half of millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it's actually wrong to share the gospel with someone of another, another faith in hopes of them coming to faith in Christ. Which means that millennials are the, the most evangelism-adverse generation on record. Back to Generation Z, almost a quarter of Gen Z strongly believes that, quote, what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. And only 34% of them agreed that lying is wrong. Moms and dads, I only share these statistics with you to serve as a wake-up call. Because we need to understand that God's goals and standards for our parenting are far greater and carry eternal consequences 
than what the world's goals and standards do. And to our graduates, your parents, I know your parents, your parents have raised you. They have poured themselves into you. They've raised you in church. They've taught you the truths of God's Word. But now you're going out into the world for yourselves. It's got to be your faith. You've got to take ownership of what you believe and why you believe it. You've got to decide what difference this makes in your life. Uh, You've got to decide. The choice is yours whether you're going to be a part of those statistics or whether you're going to buck the trend and strive to be champions for the kingdom of God. It's up to you. But moms and dads, parents, we must remember that our children have been given to us for a very few short years so that we might help them mature into disciples of Jesus who are learning to think, act, and be more like Jesus every day. That is our job. Parenting is a holy calling. And God's Word equips us with how to parent every day with God's goals in mind. And God gives us four daily parenting goals in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you'll please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And on your gates. The first goal that we see here for our parenting is there in verse 4. When it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that first goal is that we need to stay on target, parents. We need to stay on target and aim for Jesus. That should be our first goal every day. Now, this passage here in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, is known as the Shema. And that comes from the word hear. Hear, O Israel. And this has been the foundational statement of faith of the Jewish people since the time of Moses. They recite it several times a day. They put it on the door frames of their houses to act as a visual reminder for them every time they're coming and they're going to keep their focus on God. It reminds them of the centrality of their faith in Yahweh as the one true living God. He is their focus. He is the beginning and the end of their life. Or as Jesus tells us, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Hear, O Israel. It's like saying, listen and don't forget. We need that daily reminder, don't we? We need that daily reminder because we do tend to forget. We we do lose our focus. Our priorities shift in the hustle and bustle of daily life. We have to be reminded that life is all about Jesus. It's not about nations. It's not about politics. It's not about churches even. It's not about families. It's all about Jesus. That's what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1. That it's all about Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1 beginning in verse 16. For by Him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 
He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Notice how many times this passage Paul uses the words all All things, all things, all things, everything. He's not leaving anything out, is he? Whether it's in heaven or on earth, all things belong to Jesus Christ and should point to Jesus Christ and are by, for, and to Jesus Christ. And when we don't start with Jesus Christ as our aim, we're always going to end up in the wrong place. And moms and dads, we will have dragged our children there with us. We have to be reminded. And that's what the Shema does. It reminds us that it doesn't matter so much what our kids know if they don't know who it is that really matters. God knew that if His children enjoyed the benefits and prosperity of living in a land flowing with milk and honey but didn't really know and love Him, that they would end up trusting in their stuff and would take His blessings and turn them into idols, which is exactly what Israel did. And the same thing happens with us. What is temporary often crowds out what is eternal. And it's so easy to lose our focus on what matters eternally. And we end up picking up the the world's yardstick. And we use it to measure our children's success by. And that means we're measuring success for our kids by the world's standards, not by God's standards. And we end up really thinking that the most important thing we can do for our children is help them make the grade or help them get the scholarship or help them choose the right career or marry the right spouse and on and on. And of course, these are important things, but they're not the most important thing. Parents, we need to find ways to keep Jesus in front of our kids, in front of ourselves, right? I mean, we need to stay on target. And then we aim our children at Jesus as we launch them into the world. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to teach them by word and deed that nothing and no one should come before your relationship with God. He must be our focus. That's our first goal. Stay on target, moms and dads. Stay on target. And aim yourself and aim your children for Jesus. Secondly, second goal we see in verse 5 is we fight for the heart. Now, The Shema here is a part of the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is essentially one big long sermon. I mean, this thing's like what? Like 40-something chapters? You guys want me just to start reading and just go? I mean, that's a long sermon. So Moses is preaching this great big long sermon in front of the children of Israel on the eve of their crossing over to take the promised land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they're just about to move into this new land. And Moses is preaching to them. And the name Deuteronomy means second law. Because it's basically a second giving of the law of Moses. But it's more than that. Moses doesn't just read Leviticus to them. Rather, Moses interprets Israel's covenant relationship with God in terms of a story. The story of God's redemptive acts. The story of Israel's stubbornness and rebellion and the story of God's unrelenting grace and mercy towards them despite themselves. Moses 
here in these first five chapters really doesn't say anything to them they've not heard before. He just kind of starts recounting the story. Retelling the story to them. Nothing new here until we get to chapter 6, verse 5, where Moses blows their mind with a new commandment. Look at verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This was new. This was revolutionary. If you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus and Numbers, if you read those those books of the Bible, you're going to find time and again where people are commanded to obey God. People are commanded to fear God. People are commanded to worship God. People are commanded to honor God. But nowhere is anyone commanded to love God until you get to Deuteronomy 6, 5. Moses is using this sermon to make an important connection between obedience and love. He's reminding Israel of the relational aspect of their faith. In this one sentence, Moses connects the dots in order to give the people an even better understanding of the big picture. That God isn't interested in behavior modification. God is interested in heart transformation. God isn't after people who are just going to mindlessly follow rules and rituals. He wants people who are going to follow Him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what God wants. And all of us, parents and pastors, churches and schools, we tend to fall into the trap of settling for behavior modification. Right? I mean, we want our kids to do the right thing. And if they do, we reward their right behavior. But the problem with that is it creates a what's-in-it-for-me attitude instead of a what's-the-right-thing-to-do attitude. That's not to say that external motivations aren't helpful, but in, only insofar as they move us toward character transformation. Our goal should never stop at behavior modification, but always character building, heart transformation. Moses here is fighting for more than just lifestyle or practices. He's fighting for their hearts, for the heart of a nation. And we must fight for the heart of the next generation. Moms and dads, we must fight for the hearts of our children. Because I guarantee you, the world is fighting for their hearts. With every social media post, with every song, lyric, with every movie and TV show, the world is fighting for your children's hearts. Moses spends most of this sermon telling this story of Jesus' relationship with God. And later in this chapter, in verses 20 and 21, Moses says this, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And then he goes on to recap the story again. Moses doesn't try to reason out with them. Moses doesn't say, when your son asks you that question, tell him, say, well, you know, research shows that if we take one day out of every week to rest, that it leads to... No. He doesn't say, try to reason this stuff out. He doesn't tell the parents to, you know, engage in a debate about the pros and the cons of leaving wheat in the field for the poor people to glean. 
He doesn't do that. He tells them a story about how great and loving God is and how God has proven His love to them and where they've come from as slaves in Egypt and where they're going as the chosen promised people of God. Moses tells a story. What if we shifted our approach, parents? Our approach to dis- disciplining and discipling our children so they understand they are part of a story in which God is actively involved. That God has proven how much He loves us. What if we helped our children see that they are linked to a bigger picture and how they fit into God's master plan and how God longs to have a vibrant relationship with them? What if that was our goal, parents? We need to stay on target and aim for Jesus. And we have got to make sure that we are doing the right thing that we can do to help these kids understand the story in which they belong. And that brings us to the third point there. Make it personal. Make it personal. Moses begins to lay the groundwork to help the adult population pass on their faith to the next generation. And that's why Moses says in verse 6, notice in verse 6 what Moses says. He says, uh, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon where? Your hearts. Parents have to be upon your hearts. If these commandments aren't upon our hearts, we can't then impress them into our children's hearts. See, successful parenting always begins within our relationship with God. Mine, yours. No parent can be truly successful in bringing up their children to know the Lord unless we first know the Lord. And then moms and dads, we must walk in a right relationship with God if we want to have an eternal influence in our kids' lives. In other words, you're never going to be able to lead your children where you yourself are not going. There's a lot of logic to the progression Moses uses here. First, God must be the cornerstone of our lives and identity. He must be our first and our last. He must be our focus. He must be the target that we're aiming for. That, that's where it starts. Second, we have to pursue a love relationship with God as the basis of how we live. It has to be a heart issue. What we care about, what we think about, how we feel, the things that we're capable of doing should all flow through and to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our focus and it comes from our heart. You see the connection here? It's all relational. It's not religion. It's not just rules and rituals. It's all about a relationship. How we connect the deepest parts of our lives and our identities to God. And that means that the best way that we can pass down our faith to our children is to make it contagious. Now, how do you do that? How do you make your faith contagious? You do it by living your faith. Don't just talk a good talk. You've got to walk the walk. Don't just tell your kids how important these things are. Show them how important they are. Moms and dads, we must be doers of the Word, not hearers only, because we won't only deceive ourselves, but we'll be deceiving our children as well. We must understand this basic principle that God's Word must be in us before we can help it be in them. Before I ask, who are my children becoming? I need to ask, who am I becoming? And let's be honest. Who among us has a perfect relationship with God? 
you know, as Ben said, you know, all of us, our, Rubik, our Rubik's Cube is still in the works, right? We're not there yet. We've not arrived yet. None of us are perfect. So what do we do? I mean, if I can only take my daughter as far as I've gone, if I can only pass along to her what I've mastered in my spiritual walk, I'm only just going to lead her a couple of steps. <laughs> and I'm going to have to stop. So what am I to do? We have a choice to make. We can just try to cover up our weaknesses and struggles. Or we can try to justify our sins and our shortcomings. And either way, it's a recipe for a lukewarm faith, for uncommitted uh, faith in our home, a lack of commitment among our children, and teenagers who aren't only going to graduate from high school, but they're going to graduate from their faith. That's where that kind of lifestyle leads. Because they think, well, mom and dad are just hypocrites and phonies. Or we set up such a, a false, unhealthy uh, a standard of perfection that they think, I can never live up to what mom and dad expect, so why even try? Either way, they lose, don't they? See, the only real solution is this. Your children watch you every day, right, mom and dad? They watch you every single day. So let them watch you struggle. Let them watch you struggle. Admit your weaknesses. Let them see you pray and ask God to work in you. Invite them along that journey of discipleship as you are striving to think, act, and be more like Jesus. Let them hear you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. Model for them what it looks like to admit it when you're wrong and apologize and make restitution. Because the Bible says that no one is perfect. None of us can ever keep all the commands of God's Word. And so God, He doesn't expect us to master His Word before we try to impress it on our children's hearts. So God isn't interested in you putting on a show for your kids. He wants you to take them along with you on this real-life adventure of Christian discipleship. Kids need to see their parents overcome obstacles and fears. They need to see us pursue a deeper relationship with Jesus. They need to see us struggle with rejecting the consumerism and materialism of this world. They need to see us fight for our marriages and admit when we're wrong and change our bad habits. God hasn't just written a story in the Bible. He's writing a story in you, in me. And we need to teach our children that story as well. And we need to teach them that, that God is writing their story. And that all of our stories have our ups and downs. They have things to celebrate and they have things to mourn. But as long as we're pursuing Jesus, guess what? Our stories are always going to have a happy ending. Amen? We need to stay on target and aim for Jesus in ourselves and with our families. We need to fight for the heart of our children in this next generation. We need to make it personal. We've got to own it. We've got to work on our relationship with Jesus and bring our children along in that discipleship journey. And our fourth goal is we need to create a rhythm. Create a rhythm. Look at verses 7 through 9. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Last week we looked at how God instituted the first marriage. And from that moment, God strategically positioned the family as the primary place 
where his message of restoration would be displayed for the hearts of the next generation. Notice here in verse 7, it isn't Moses or the priests who are assuming the responsibility to impress God's word on the hearts of the children, is it? It's the parents. It's moms and dads. We are the primary ones responsible for cultivating the soil of our children's hearts. We're the ones responsible for making sure the seeds of the gospel are planted and nurtured so that the fruit of the Spirit will someday grow. Through Moses, God presents here a framework of routine and rhythm by which moms and dads can do just that. Because God understands our tendency to compartmentalize our faith, right? I mean, over time, our daily walk with God becomes just, well, it's at certain times of the day. You know, I'll have a morning quiet time. I'll pray over my meal. And then it becomes just a certain day of the week, Sunday. And then it's become certain times of the year, Christmas and Easter, right? We, we tend to compartmentalize our faith. Instead of seeing all of life connected to God's story, we, we categorize and we segmentize our faith. What we would never wear, do, or say at church we don't blink about wearing, doing, or saying at a party or at home or on vacation. We separate life into the sacred and the secular. And again, that's a recipe for uncommitted, lukewarm Christians and children that will walk away from their faith because they don't see as relevant to daily life this faith. Because you've, you've compartmentalized it, you've, seg- you've put it into segments, it, it doesn't have any bearing what you hear the preachers preach on Sunday morning. It, you don't, it's not reflected throughout the week. So obviously the Bible's not relevant to my faith, much less to the big questions of life and morality. So the answer is to create a daily rhythm for our lives as followers of Jesus, especially for how we demonstrate and instill the faith in our children. Because we all know that children learn best through routine and rhythm, right? And repetition. That's why students have agenda books. That's why, you know, teachers have have their their classroom structure and organization. That's why families have traditions around the holidays. We need these things to pass these things along. And so Moses instructs the people of God to work really within the natural rhythms of life. He's not asking us to create something artificial, something extra, he says use the natural rhythm of your daily life to help your children learn about God and be captivated by Him. So let's consider this morning how we can create, how we can establish a rhythm centered around sitting at home, walking along the road, lying down, and getting up. Something every one of us do every single day. So here's a suggested routine. The first is mealtimes. Mealtimes, when you sit at home. Now, this morning, I'm not going to go into all the research that shows that kids who regularly enjoy family meals around the table are less likely to experience symptoms of depression and less likely to get into drug use or that it improves grades and lowers kids' body mass index. I'm not going to mention those, okay? (laughs) But mealtimes are a natural part of all of our days, right? We all eat every day at least three times, maybe some of us five or six, right? So it gives parents... A specific time to assume the role of a teacher. Think about that mealtime. Parents, you're a teacher and you can, you can target specific spiritual truths. You can target specific core values. Our Faith at Home Center has lots of resources that can help you know how to make the most of your mealtime and, and how, to, how to guide those conversations 
in those ways. Mealtime. Another one is drive time, right? When you walk along the road. Here's another unique opportunity. Travel time is very convenient for stimulating informal conversations with your kids. And and, in a way, these conversations, let your children drive the agenda. Let your children talk about the things that are on their mind. You know, what happened at school today or what they're excited about this weekend. This is a relatively undistracted time that parents can use to build relationship with their kids. So when you're picking them up from school or taking them to school or going to the soccer practice or the ball game or whatever you're doing, take on the role of a friend and just help them interpret life along the Word of God. Another one is bedtime, when you lie down. Now, parents, don't miss the potential here by simply sending your kids off to bed. Take them. Tuck them in. Okay, if you're a teenager, you probably don't want your parents tucking you in. But moms and dads, at least pop in there, sit on the foot of the bed, and, and have a conversation with them. There's something about the private domain of a child's room that they just they open up. They, they lower their defenses. And, and there's an, a unique opportunity to engage in deep, meaningful conversation. So parents, approach this time as a counselor, listening to your child's heart. Debrief the day with them. Talk about the highs and the lows. This is also a great time, by the way, for, for Bible reading or a family devotion time and certainly a time to pray together. And then finally, there's morning time when you get up. Now, this one, I, I admit, we probably struggle with this one the most, right? I mean, if your mornings are like our mornings, they're chaos, right? And, and you're lucky if you might get two seconds to actually see your child in the morning. So maybe it's not necessarily spoken. Maybe it can be written. Maybe you can stick a note in their book bag or stick a note in their, uh, in their lunchbox. But this is a great moment to give your kids a side of encouragement with their breakfast. Use the mornings to instill a sense of value and purpose in their heart for the day. Think of it like this. Your role in the morning is like a coach. Okay, you're like a coach about to send your players into the biggest game of the year. And you'd ask yourself, what can I say or do to give them the fuel that they're going to need to deal with whatever they're going to face today? How can I encourage and inspire my kids as they face the day? These daily rhythms, alongside the weekly rhythm of Sabbath, where we take a break from our normal weekly routine to rest and to spend time together as a family and to worship God. And then the annual rhythms of holidays and celebrations and birthdays where we can retell the story and we can give thanks to God. These rhythms are all about being interactive and intentional. Rhythm really answers the age-old debate between quality time versus quantity time because rhythm takes both to work together. It takes the consistency, the quantity of time, but it has to be quality time as well. It demands us to prioritize. And you know what it means to prioritize? It means to pre-decide how you're going to use your time. To prioritize is to pre-decide how you're going to use your time. Rhythm helps you to do that. Moms and dads, what are your daily goals as parents? I hope this message inspires you to be intentional, creative, and focused in raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And let me just remind you of the stakes here. First, it's a whole lot easier to build a child than repair an adult. Amen? Secondly, nothing less than eternity hangs in the balance. I want you to hear this morning Psalm 78. And I want you to hear this as a challenge and as a rallying cry for us. 
Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children that they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. May the Lord help us to do everything in our power to be the best parents we can be to His praise and glory. Consider this morning, moms and dads, how you would feel if your kids grew up to be the kind of Christian that you are today. Would you be pleased with that? Or there are some areas in your life that need attention. Listen, now, if you've made mistakes, and who among us hasn't? Know that there is help, and there is forgiveness, and there is renewal through Jesus Christ. Mom and Dad, is everything right in your relationship with God this morning? What about your relationship with your children? If there are needs there, I pray you'll bring them to Jesus this morning. He wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to equip you. But parents, it begins with your own relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, moms, dads, children, teenagers, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how can you stay on target and aim for someone you do not know? I invite you to come this morning and place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that this church stands here to equip you, to encourage you, to support you. The church is the partner. We come alongside Christian parents to help you in the discipling of your children. Maybe God is leading you to unite with this church, to join and bring your family to grow and serve and worship here. Whatever God has spoken to you, I pray you'll come. Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank You so much for Your Word and the story that it reminds us of, the story of Your goodness and Your grace, and that no matter how stubborn and rebellious we may be, no matter how distracted we get, no matter how many times we fall for the world's traps, You are always there to pick us up, to set us free, to heal our wounds, and to empower us to do better. Help us as parents, as grandparents, help us as a church, as individuals, to rely on Your grace and your mercy. Strengthen us and guide us that we can help the next generation, even the children yet to be born, to know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.